This is a podcast by sciencemag.com. Sciencemag, come out and play. Sciencemag, come out and play. Sciencemag, come out and play. Articles and other sources are directly quoted during the episode. Check the script to find out such quotes. The link to the script is in the episode's description. Oh, hello, 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 dear English-speaking reading, hearing listener. Welcome back to me at uh, Science Mag, uh, written science and UG, the blog slash podcast slash Twitter and Instagram accounts slash entity behind the unsuccessful e-shop stuff and go, written stuff and go on Zazzle.com, which tells you science stories while assessing the financial risks of buying 7,600 tons of pineapples with the idea to resell them to the Italian pizza industry. And which talks to you thanks to the voice kidnapped we have to do wild trick from a very 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 dumb human and which does all of this in English question mark language that is to proper English what cosmic scene the science fiction movie is to something even remotely different from a cosmic waste of money and a scene committed by the directors screenwriter producers cast and film distributors towards the audience and the gods of storytelling today I'm gonna tell you the third part and second to last of a story about human placentas and plastics. A group of Italian researchers, aka the Italian Brains, aka the ITBs, study human placentas in search of microplastics fragments, that is, plastic particles smaller than half a centimeter. In doing so, the researchers, for the first time ever, find such pollutants in the placentas of women in good health and who have had normal pregnancies and deliveries. The Italian research team is led by medical doctor Antonio Ragusa, head of the Department of Women, Mother and Newborn at the San Giovanni Calibita Fatebene Fratelli Hospital in Rome, and the group publishes its study on the science journal Environmental International. Now, people, so far I've told you how the Italian brains select the pregnant women for their study, how they design and execute a plastic-free protocol to collect the placenta samples, what kind of technique they use to analyze them, and finally, what are the characteristics of the microplastics found inside the placenta samples. In this episode, dear listener, I'm gonna tell you the Italian brain's idea of how the darn super tiny pieces of plastics managed to travel from the outside world all the way deep down into the placenta, that is, the organ in charge to basically feed and protect the developing fetus. Well, dear listener, Dr. Agusa and colleagues think that the microplastic most probably reached the placenta via bloodstream. As mentioned in the previous episodes, indeed, the microplastics the Italian brains find are very small, about 5 to 10 micrometers meaning from one twelfth to one sixth of an average human hair's diameter, meaning that these things are small enough to surf the bloodstream and travel like that through the human body. Proof of it is that 5 to 10 micrometers particles have already been detected as foreign bodies in human internal organs by other researchers. The Italian brains, though, admit they don't know exactly how the microplastics end up in the bloodstream, yet they think the entryways to the human 
human body can be two, the respiratory system and the gastrointestinal tract. From there, then, the ITB says, the microplastics can reach the bloodstream and eventually the placenta. And of course, you, dear curious listener, want to know exactly how. Well, pal, let's break down these two entry mechanisms, okay? <laughs> okay, let's start with the respiratory system pathway. So there are the upper and the lower respiratory tracts. The upper one is made of nose or nostrils, nasal cavity, mouth, throat, aka pharynx, and voice box, aka larynx. The lower respiratory tract instead includes the windpipe, aka the trachea, and lungs with all that's seen in them, bronchi, bronchiolis, and alveoli. To be clear, the trachea splits into bronchi, and inside the lungs, each bronchus splits into secondary and tertiary bronchi, which go on with the branches business to form smaller airways named the bronchiolis. Such bronchiolis, in turn, keep branching till they end in very tiny air sacs called the alveoli, which cluster together into alveolar sacs. And here's where the actual gas change happens in the lungs, on the very surface of each alveolus, thanks to a network of capillaries carrying blood that has come through veins from other parts of the body. Okay, now, both respiratory tracts, from the nasal cavity down to the bigger bronchioles, are coated with mucus, that is a sticky, slimy, slippery gel produced by glands, which is mostly made of water, 95%, and mucins, 5%, namely proteins that provide a lubrication, protection, resistance, and resilience to toxic challenges at the mucosal surfaces. Mucus' primary function, besides humidifying the airways, is basically to form a barrier against infectious and irritating stuff, like microorganisms, smoke, pollen, etc. Bad guys indeed get stuck into the mucus and then move out your human body. How, you're asking, dear listener? Well, you know, pal, both human respiratory tracts, from nose to the bronchioles, are lined with the ciliated epithelium. Epithelium, folks, besides being those cells that make up the outer surface of your human body, is a general term that identifies the layers of cells that line hollow organs and glands. So, the just-mentioned ciliated epithelium is an epithelium of the respiratory tracts that is made of cells equipped with air-like structures called the cilia. There are 10 cilia per square centimeter in the respiratory tree, and these cilia all beat synchronously in a characteristic whip-like fashion, propelling mucus and its nasty hosts from the distal airways to the nasopharynx, from where you humans drip, blow, sneeze, cough, spit them out. So, dear listener, to sum up, your human airways have a kind of glue, the mucus, that entraps the bad stuff you inhale, and this kind of blob loaded with nasty stuff is then carried away by kind of hairy cells, the ciliated epithelium. Now, with this whole picture in mind, pal, let's go and see what's the ITB's idea of how microplastics manage to enter the human body via the respiratory system. But first, <laughs> first, a commercial break. Are you a foreign body who's sick and tired of entering a human body without knowing your way through it and because of that constantly ended up wasting a lot of time for taking the wrong blood vessel to the wrong organ or for being stuck in some gut jam without any chance of finding an alternative route? Buy our Human Bodies GPS for Bugs and Antigens. Human Bodies GPS for Bugs and Antigens is a very handy nano device you can bring with you wherever you go. Human Bodies GPS for Bugs and Antigens 
intelligence comes with a one-year free subscription to our service that provides you with 6.5 billion and growing very detailed and constantly updated human bodies maps, human bodies GPS for bugs and antigens, and you never miss a target organ again. Human bodies GPS for bugs and antigens is now also an app and a brand of seal. Ok, dear listener, let's see how small pieces of plastic manage to take a dive into your human bloodstream by entering your human body through their respiratory system. The Italian brains say that in the upper respiratory tract, the mucus is thicker and allows a successful clearance of the foreign body's particles. In addition, the mechanical movement of ciliated epithelium prevents smaller particles from spreading through the epithelium and reach the circulation. In the lower respiratory tract, on the other hand, the mucus layer is thinner, thus facilitating the diffusion of particles which are then able to reach this part of the respiratory tract. Once penetrated, the microplastics can spread into the general circulation by cellular uptake or diffusion. So, all in all, as for the respiratory system, according to the Italian brains, the microplastic probably entered the bloodstream mainly, or at least more easily, via the lower respiratory tract. Now, dear listener, let's go to what it is, in Dr. Agusa and colleagues' educated guess, the second probable gateway used by the microplastic to infiltrate your body, the gastrointestinal system. Okay, first step, a human being somehow ingests microplastic. And we'll fully delve into the eating plastic issue next time, but I can already tell you this now, as an appetizer. <laughs> See what I did? See what I did? Okay. It has been found, for instance, that in commercial muscles, that is muscles consumed as food by humans, in commercial muscles from Belgium, the number of microplastic particles varied from 3 to 5 fibers per 10 grams of muscles, fiber as in synthetic fibers that is made of plastics. And microplastics have been found in two species of muscles from five European countries, France, Italy, Denmark, Spain and the Netherlands. Puzzling, huh? Well, dear listeners, know this that is even more puzzling. The potential for human ingestion of plastic fibers resulting from domestic dust during a meal may be higher than plastic fiber intake through consumption of contaminated muscles. So, pal, apparently, when one bites the dust, well, that one is eating a lot of plastics too. Anyway, step one of the microplastic gastrointestinal system way to the human bloodstream and ultimately even to the is this, a human ingests microplastics and then microplastics reach the intestine. Now, folks, in your human guts, there are a thing called the Peyer's patches. These are a series of small lymphoid organs situated precisely in the wall of the small intestine. Okay, okay, okay. To be clear, small intestine is the many times folded, abdomen-housed, longest part of the digestive system that connects the stomach to the large intestine, aka the colon. And the lymphoid organs are those organs that, along with a bunch of tissues and cells, form that life-saving thing located throughout your human body called immune system. Now, at the level of the just-mentioned Peyer's patches, the ingested microplastics are probably taken 
up by endocytosis from the M cells. So let's refresh the concept of endocytosis now, shall we, dear listener? Okay. As you know, dear listener, the cell membrane forms the boundary of cells, and it is a complex and dynamic structure, which is a selectively permeable lipid bilayer that contains many proteins. Given that endocytosis is the production of brand new internal membranes from the cell membrane, so that in doing so, plasma membrane lipids and integral proteins and extracellular fluid become fully internalized into the cell. Now, pal, you are probably so fed up with all this explanation that you are thinking of quitting listening to this episode and starting investing all your money in the space industry so that the colonization of the asteroid belt will become a reality and you can move far, far, far away and just put your mind into less troubling questions such as uh, I wonder if the oxygen reservoirs will last till next refueling. Oh, well, first thing first, let's try and remember the code to open this hatch and re-enter the shuttle. I feel you, bro. I feel you, really. But uh, be just a bit more patient. We are getting there. So, microplastics are probably taken up via the just spreading endocytosis by the M cells. And M cells, aka microfold cells, are cells found among the epithelial cells covering pairs patches in the intestine. M cells take up and transport a wide variety of sizes and types of intestinal microorganisms and antigens, like precisely microplastics. And given the times, for sure you don't need a definition of antigens. So, M cells take this stuff, okay? Okay, from apical surfaces of the inside space of the intestine, aka the intestinal lumen, to the underlying immune system components, like the dendritic cells, that are exactly immune cells. Okay, in short, so far you, human, ingest plastic, plastic gets to the intestine, there the M cells kinda eat it up, and then kinda spit it out to some immune system cells called dendritic cells. These dendritic cells take the load coming from the M cells, that is, in our case, the microplastics, and then they transfer this load into the lymphatic circulation, that is, the circulation of the lymph throughout the lymph system. The lymph system is a major part of the body's immune system, and it is a network of organs, lymph nodes, lymph ducts, and lymph vessels that make and move lymph from tissues to bloodstream. The lymph is a clear to white fluid made of white blood cells, especially lymphocytes, the cells that attack the bacteria in the blood, and by fluid from the intestines called chyle, which contains proteins and fats, and in our case, as just said, probably microplastics too. Okay, folks, to super sum up, the microplastics are ingested, reach the intestine, there, via endocytosis performed by cells called M cells, the microplastics are passed to immune cells called dendritic cells. From these dendritic cells, the microplastics go to the lymph system, and from the lymph system, our pertinacious traveling microplastics finally reach the bloodstream. But, dear listeners, there's another way they Italian brains say, through which the microplastics, once in the intestine, manage to make a trip into the bloodstreams, a way that doesn't involve the endocytosis performed by the MyGM cells. And this alternative way is called the paracellular transport.
Now, paracellular transport is not a type of stuff movement done by some cells with a peculiar X chromosome that have a freaky ribosomal paranormal powers like reading the mitochondrial thoughts of other cells or creating micro-hurricanes in the cytoplasm of evil bugs. Nope, dear listener. Paracellular transport is the passage of molecules between adjacent epithelial cells that, in our specific case, are the intestinal epithelium adjacent cells, cells which are joined together with junctional complexes. Dr. Ragusa and colleagues indeed think that the microplastic can exploit loose junctions at this level to cross the intestinal lumen. The ITVs also add that this phenomenon could partially explain why some inflammatory states which increase loose junction favor intestinal passage. Once in the intestinal lumen, then, the microplastic meet the above-mentioned dendritic cells, which transport them into the lymphatic circulation, and as just said before, from them, the microplastic finally reach the bloodstream and eventually the placenta. Okay, folks, let's make a giant super-concise recap of the gastrointestinal microplastics pathway. A human being somehow gulps down microplastics. The microplastics go to the intestine. There, they are transferred to the lymphatic system. Once in the circulation of the lymphatic system, the microplastic finally reach the blood, and it is via bloodstream, in the case of the human ingesting them be a pregnant woman, that the microplastic eventually reach even the placenta. So, dear listener, to super super sum up all the possible microplastics trip scenarios pictured by the Italian brains, let's say this. Microplastics can reach the placenta and the inner organs of the human body in general, most probably via bloodstream, where they end up after being breathed in and or ingested. Okay, dear skeptical listener, at this point you could say, oh, come on, dude, big deal, you know that more than 90% of the ingested plastic goes away when you go number two. Well, yep, buddy, you humans get rid of of the great majority of plastics via feces. Sure, but that ain't true for plastics smaller than 150 micrometers. And I remind you, dear listener, that the ones we are talking about here are between 5 and 10 micrometers big, so pretty, pretty smaller than 150 micrometers. Besides, pal, were I a human being like you, well, well, even a 10% of plastic not flush out from my system would be anyway a great, great deal of concern to me. Because, uh, dear listener, plastic in the placenta and in the human body in general are dangerous. And, folks, you'll find out why, how specifically, and how much dangerous in the next and final part of this episode. In the meantime, people, take care, and if you spare some time and feel like doing it, please subscribe and or rate this podcast, and or leave a comment on the blog, and or make a tour on my stuff and go written stuff and geo eShop on Zazzle.com, so you can see if there's something you like, and or make a donation clicking on the donate button on this dumb, fantastic blog's homepage. Ciao! Science man, come out and play. Science man, come out and play. Science man, come out and play. This is a podcast by sciencemag.com.